Hey there, folks. Welcome to Truth in Thousand Word or Less. So glad that you could make it. My name is uh, my name's Stephen Craig, and I am so glad uh, to be the host and author of uh, Truth in a Thousand Words or Less, and uh, so glad that you join us this Thursday. We're available each and every Thursday, or at least almost every Thursday. You know? Come on, come on! I got like I got like kids and a job. I can't I can't do it every. Well, pretty much every Thursday. It's pretty much every Thursday, other than, you know, the occasional here or there for whatever else, like Christmas holidays and stuff. But in any case, uh, thank you for joining us this Thursday. Um, wow. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, last week's column and podcast certainly uh, generated its share of buzz. Um, you know, it's funny. I've talked about this before here on the podcast. I, I oftentimes uh, have no idea what is going to generate um controversy and uh and get people a buzz and uh and last week is a great example um i thought last week's column was relatively benign for the most part and especially in the fact that it uh continued to go after uh essentially largely go after cancel culture and the idea that uh bill maher was has uh you know the the way that bill maher was attacked for his comments and his opinions and I wanted to, I think I, I talked about this last week, uh, but since the controversy was so significant, I um, wanted to bring up a couple of points that I think uh, from last week that I think are really important. And number one, the first is to distinguish the fact that there is a wide difference between um, protecting somebody's opinions and perspective, even when they disagree with your own. And I, I want to be very clear. I, I don't care who it is. You know, the the um, ACLU used to defend the KKK. <laughs> I can guarantee you that the ACLU, as an organization and the people within that organization, don't agree with them. But they do defend their right to say it. And um, likewise, I, I believe that of opinions. I don't have to agree with that. Um, and furthermore, the you know when people talk about uh, free speech, um, free speech pertains to your uh, right from criminal to be uh, kept from criminal criminal prosecution. It does not guarantee you a right to a job or a forum for expressing those ideas. That's not what freedom of speech means. Um, people misuse that all the time. That cancel culture is somehow in a you know um, uh, you know somehow an attack on free speech. It's it's not a, an attack on the constitutional free speech. It's an attack on free speech as a concept, and I think that that's. That's a bit more important. We don't have a right, a guarantee to free speech. There are repercussions for our actions. But I think that when we when we try to enforce um, when we try to enforce repercussions to the point of silencing those voices, um, that's when I think that we're getting to a dangerous point of society on both sides. And I'll come to that for a moment. That anytime we disagree with something, no longer can we sit there and say, you know what, I, I have firm belief in my opinion i know that you have a firm belief in yours and i support your ability to say it because i want to have the ability to say mine and i have a, a belief and i i'm arrogant enough my girlfriend can tell you that i'm arrogant enough to believe that i'm right more often than not and i'm arrogant enough to believe um that i can if i can come up with convincing arguments on why i'm right and if i can't then I should change my opinion. You know, it was Ralph Waldo Emerson who once said that a foolish constancy is the hobgoblin of little minds. You know, if you if you can't come up with a convincing argument on why you're right, then then you should change that opinion. Um, but that's not 
That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about silencing those voices, allowing yourself um, the belief that, you know, if, if um, you know, when you hear things that you disagree with, um, find the reasons why they're wrong and articulate those. You don't need to silence um, somebody else. Um, in any case, on the, on the other side of that, I wanted to be really clear about the fact of not silencing people for different opinions, but there is a huge dif- a huge difference when we're talking about the spreading of misinformation. And uh, several people um, brought up the fact that one of the lines in the column was the fact that I, I said that um, I had suggested that Bill Maher was not Joe Rogan or uh, Joe Rogan or Fox News. And, and the reason I say that is is um, in the case of both Joe Rogan and Fox News. They're out there spreading genuinely, patently false information. That's not just a, an opinion. That is a fact. Um, in the case of Fox News, they've been sued uh, in, uh, by Dominion Voting Systems for spreading false information about the election. What, they, what Fox News has said on their airwaves is patently false. They have spread misinformation about what, ha- what took place um, during the 2020 election and has suggested that somehow or another that Trump... Um, genuinely won. And they have spread the false notion that somehow or another that the election was somehow compromised by voter fraud, and it was not. Um, And that gets me to my next point, which is this idea, I want to be also very clear that I think a lot of emphasis and concentration and focus has been put on um, people on the left creating cancel culture and i've probably focused there in large part because i don't expect it from the left i believe as a as a person who generally ascribes to liberal and or progressive thought um i believe that we should be the people who are standing up for free speech that's what the aclu does they stand up for free speech that they don't agree with i expect cancel culture from the right and all of the folks out there on the right who are sitting there decrying the fact that, you know, people on the left are canceling Dr. Seuss and fucking M&Ms for that matter. Um, it's nothing compared. I, I want to be really clear that the amount, the cancel culture that's taking place on the right is far more diabolical and more pervasive. I know it seems like when we talk about cancel culture that we generally are talking about people like canceling people like JK Rowling or, um, or things like that, where the left is attacking people on the right. Um, but we saw that we saw, uh, you know, Whoopi Goldberg, who's generally, um, uh, you know, generally considered fairly left uh, being attacked. But I'm talking about the folks on the right that are genuinely canceling. And I mean this in two ways. Number one, the banning of books um, that's taking place in Texas and Tennessee and in other Republican red states throughout the country. That's that's the kind of real cancel culture. Forget about Forget about canceling whether or not uh, you know we we change the what the ways that M and M's are dressing. They're Tucker Carlson. <laughs> you know, if you're concerned about genuinely canceling ideas and about, um, I, I would agree with you on all that. But how then do you justify banning actual ideology through books? That's that's like borderline Nazi kind of stuff. And I don't mean to take that minimally. I am, my great-grandfather died at Auschwitz. I'm not minimizing the, the Nazi regime or what's going on in this country. And I hate 
when people um, so quickly ascribe uh, thoughts, you know, and comparisons to the Nazi agenda. But when we're banning books, especially a book like Mouse, M-A-U-S, um, about the Holocaust uh, as a, an attempt to deny what happened in the Holocaust, uh, that that's some scary shit. That should that's the kind of cancel culture we should really be worried about. Now, I'm not suggesting that cancel culture when it comes to things like Dr. Seuss and the Muppets. I've written about it before. I think that's horrible, too. Um, but banning books is really bad. And likewise, on the right, um, the fact that the Republican Party has come out and censured uh, and stripped away um, positions of power and authority from um, from a number of uh, Congress people um, within their own party, take Liz Cheney, for example, um, and having her stripped of her um, leadership position, um, that's cancel culture, yo. <laughs> and so the the far right screaming all every day about cancel culture, I, I completely, that point I do agree with, but let's, let's put the mirror up to them for a little bit too and see that they are engaging in the worst kinds of cancel culture and trying to get away with it and trying to hold no accountability. Like for the fact, for example, of, of taking leadership positions away uh, from Liz Cheney because she had the unmitigated gall to suggest that Trump is a liar, which he is, and I, and we all know it, um, and that Trump is spreading widespread misinformation. And, and even people like Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, when they were sued by Dominion Voting Systems, I mean, this isn't just me saying this. These people are downright lying. And um, and they're lying about something as important as voter fraud and the integrity of our elections. And they're doing so so that they can eventually steal the next election. But that's another whole episode altogether. But the, the fact that we're continuing, uh, the fact that the right continues to um, censor its own people who stand up and and, and expose the big lie, the big lie that somehow or another the election was rigged and that Trump uh, won the election is a absolute falsehood. Um, and the people who stand up and have the, the decency to actually acknowledge that on the right are being, are being canceled by their own people. So don't let the right get away with that shit. Um, it does bring me, however, as I said, I'm, I'm always surprised um, by how much uh how much criticism or commentary or whatever it is, both positive. There was a lot of, to be honest, there was a lot of both positive and negative. I didn't know that this column, uh, last week's column would get, uh, such a stir. Um, to be honest, I, I, I wondered about this week's column and I, um, this week's column is about Joe Biden's pick, um, for a uh, Supreme court nominee. And, um, you know, it's, uh, Biden has already come out and suggested that he, he said it in his, um, in fairness, he, he did. He said it um, during the election process. It was a campaign promise that he would uh, name a black woman to the Supreme Court if he did have an opportunity to name a Supreme Court justice. And um, and uh, and he has come out and said that he will do so. And I want to be really clear before I give this piece so that maybe there's not as much controversy, but I, I, I want to be really clear. I think he should. <laughs> I absolutely 100% think that he should. I think it's the right idea. I think it's well beyond time that this country have a black woman. And to be honest, we need more ethnic diversity and more gender diversity on the Supreme Court as well. 
it's you know I, I mentioned Ted Cruz in the article that I'm about to read and um and Ted Cruz came out and I, I hate to say that I agree with him but I agree with the fact that he's right that it's offensive um but the the part where I disagree with Ted Cruz is that he suggested it's offensive to white men like he's he's coming out and suggesting uh, what Cruz said was that it's uh you know that it's offensive to white men because they can't be they they can't fill the role you know you know what fuck white men and I'm one of them. Like they've had more than their fair share of opportunity on the Supreme Court. Um, so I'm not suggesting that it's offensive to uh, to white men. Uh, that's absolutely crazy. What I am suggesting is that by what Biden is doing is suggest is inherently offensive to black women. Um, and I'm going to explain why. In a piece called "Sometimes Affirmative Action Isn't So Affirmative." Raise your hand if you were caught by surprise when Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer announced his retirement a couple weeks back. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought. If you couldn't see this coming, you must have Coke bottle lenses for glasses, yet somehow dropped them down a bottomless well shortly before this all went down. You were probably utterly shocked when Michael Jackson was accused of inappropriate relationships with minors. Because this news really shouldn't have surprised anyone. Pryor is, after all, 83 years old, and Democrats have been pushing hard for him to retire since the moment Biden was sworn into the Oval Office. Burned by the duplicity, and I'm about to bring this up, and I highly encourage you to uh, to read my piece uh, right after RBG passed away and the hypocrisy of uh, Republicans. I won't delve into it now, but uh, one of my favorite pieces of all time. Uh, I think it's called I Double Dare, Dog Dare You, Republicans. Burned by the duplicity of Republicans who refused to even hear a nomination for Merrick Garland with almost a full year left in Obama's second term, but were only too willing to fill the seat created by RBG's passing with only days left in Trump's presidency, Democrats knew they needed to fill Breyer's potential seat while they still had the votes to get his successor confirmed, thus maintaining the already vastly disproportionate liberal representation on the Supreme Court. Given that conservatives currently hold a 6-3 supermajority on the highest court in the land, despite winning the popular vote in only one presidential election since 1988. Yes, that's Bill Clinton twice, right? (laughs) Just in case you think I'm crazy, right? Like the last time, the only other time, other than Trump's first, first, uh, right, other, I'm sorry, the only time other than um, Bush's second term, right? You have two Clinton... Two Clinton years. I don't know why I'm going through all this. In any case, you have Clinton twice, right? He won that election. Then you have uh, Bush lost the uh, the popular vote to uh, Gore. That's not disputed. Uh, and then he did win. The, obviously, the Republicans did win his second term. But then you have two terms of Obama, and then you have Trump, who lost the um, who lost the popular vote, and yet still won the election, followed by Biden. So they've only won the pop presidential popular vote in a presidential election since 1988, which should tell you what most people in this country, the majority of people in this country, want. Well, uh, despite that fact, um, Democrats uh, have, unfortunately, the court still sits at a 6-3 majority. So Democrats cannot afford to see yet another champion of the underprivileged and marginalized go sailing off into the sunset, only to be replaced by yet another neoconservative hell-bent on undoing the very, their very legacy. 
Rumor has it that Obama urged RGB to retire during his presidency for just the same reason, so it is hardly remarkable that Democrats pressured Breyer to step down while they still had the chance to replace him. But what did surprise me was what Biden said about selecting his successor and the fact that I had to agree with Ted Cruz's criticism. Holding true to a campaign promise he reiterated throughout his presidential campaign, Biden has since avowed to name a black woman to the Supreme Court. Now that in and of itself is not what took me aback. No black woman has ever served on the court and only two black men have ever been confirmed. In fact, of the 115 justices named to the Supreme Court, 108 of them have been white men. That's right, 108 out of 115 have been white men. So yeah, you better believe it's time to get a little color in there to more accurately reflect the demographics of the country we all share. And heck, why not throw a little vagina in there for good measure? Even Lindsey Graham has recently come out, no pun intended, though probably deserved, in support of naming a black woman to the court. And Graham is so patently white that he even gives albinos the creeps. Yes, having a black woman serve on the Supreme Court is long overdue and very much needed. But that doesn't mean Biden should go around saying it. Now, what I mean by that is that Biden should simply select a black woman because that is the right thing to do. But keep his mouth shut (laughs) about either of those characteristics somehow being qualifications for his nominee. Ted Cruz has come out and suggested Biden limiting his search to black women is offensive. And to be honest, he's right. Not because it is offensive to white people or men. Screw them. They've had more than their fair share of opportunity being thrown their way. Especially, apparently, on the Supreme Court, you know. Nor because it is offensive to the American public. The American public deserve a Supreme Court that reflects who they are. And given that less than 6% of Supreme Court justices have been either a minority or a woman... The representation of those two demographics of our society is notably wanting and is an insult to the progress of all women and minorities in our society. Rather, Biden's stipulations that his nominee must be a black woman is an insult to the justice he inevitably selects. By placing those constraints of gender and ethnicity on his choice, Biden is inherently minimizing their other qualifications. Instead of suggesting that he's choosing the absolute best person with unmitigated aptitude and competence, His comments indicate that his nominee will simply be the preeminent black woman. If Biden had instead just come out and said that he was going to opt for the best candidate, regardless of race, gender, etc., his selection of a black woman would carry more weight by indicating that whatever black woman he chooses is the best person for the job, a profound statement given the long, unfortunate track record of Supreme Court justices. By limiting his options to people who are black and female, he is undercutting the potential impact he could have in addressing the racial and gender inequities that continue to plague our nation, especially at the highest levels of government. No longer will the American public view his nominee as the best candidate for the job. They will see her as the best black woman for the job, when it is just the fact that she is actually both of those things that could make real inroads to the future progress of black women within the legal field. Sometimes affirmative action is not so affirmative. 
Instead, its well-intended consequences only stand to undercut the abilities and qualifications of the individuals and communities it is meant to serve. It sends a subtle, unconscious message that those communities cannot compete on an even playing field, perpetuating the very bias of them being lesser that serves as the faulty foundations of these prejudices in the first place. Yes, we need to start by leveling that proverbial playing field through equal education and vocational opportunities for all, because everything we know about our society says that simply isn't the case. We know that there is systemic racial inequalities that exist throughout our society that need to be remedied. But when we come right out and say that we are giving preferential treatment or consideration, we only further undermine, we are only further undermining the rosy-eyed optimism of achieving racial and gender equality for all. Well, folks, write in, tell me how much you, how much that one ticked you off if you need to. I, for one, am going to go have a Go have a beer and play some hockey. It's all very good. Thanks, folks. I appreciate it. You know who's coming up now. It's my boy Johnny. That's right. We're out of here. It's been been great talking to y'all. Have a great rest of your Thursday. Have a great rest of the week. It's fucking beautiful out there. I don't need to get so angry. This will sound a little John Bear. Have a good rest of your day. Yeah. In case, my name is Stephen Craig. I'm the host, the author, truth is a thousand words or less. We do this each and every Thursday, or again, at least most of them, and we'll be back next Thursday, don't you worry. Until then, have a great week. Yeah. Peace out, y'all.